The first thing they have to understand is what does success look like? Okay, so there's four criteria for a successful exit. Welcome to Monday Mornings with Michelle, the new business podcast. Whether you're kicking off your day or kickstarting your business, Michelle is going to kick your ass into next week with the essential fours. Strategy, systems, support, and state of mind. Now, welcome to center stage, Michelle Nedelec. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I am super glad that you're here with us today because I am here with my most amazing guest, Ami. Thank you so much for being here with us today. My pleasure, Michelle. Glad to be here. Awesome. So give us a 5,000-foot view of who you are and what you love to do. I am the CEO and founder of Interchange Capital Partners, and we work with uh, business owners on the single largest financial transaction of their lives, which is the unlocking of a lifetime of work and the inevitable liquidity event uh, that will happen through exit planning, succession planning, transition planning, whatever you whatever you call it. Uh, but um, most of our clients and the, the people we work with, uh, the bulk of their wealth is locked up in their business. And uh, they've reached a point where it's time to uh, transition. Some of them do it willingly. Some of them <laughs> fight it all the way, but it is inevitable. And uh, mistakes that are made, unfortunately, have generational consequences uh, to them. And uh, there are pretty uh, tried and true methods to be able to prevent that from happening. Uh, so that's what we do. Uh, we've been at it for a very long time. Uh, I spent uh, 42 years on Wall Street with various uh, banks and uh, Wall Street uh, financial and investment firms. And on my 65th birthday, um, in, uh, we started Interchange Capital Partners with my oldest son and um, a bunch of great uh, individuals uh, to really focus on this area and really help the family business owner you know, work through it uh, as we have worked through it. So we eat our own cooking and uh, you know, we have a lot of owner empathy uh, around all of this. And uh, so uh, it's, it's really been a, a pleasure to be able to have such a big impact, um, not only on the founding generation, but on the subsequent generations as well. I am in love with this conversation because it is not my area of expertise, but it is an area of fascination. And I think it's an area that a lot of entrepreneurs, I'm going to say 95% plus, ignore and don't understand. They ignore it because they don't understand it. So it's definitely a conversation I want to get into. But I have to ask you, why at the precipice of when most people are like, yay, I can go hang out on the beach and never look at a computer again, <laughs> did you decide, hey, I think it's a great time to start another business? Well, it's it's really just the evolution of what I've done. I, you know, I'm very fortunate, and, and this is a key factor that we'll come back to for your business owners. I'm very fortunate to have learned to focus my time and energy in the area that we call unique ability or passion. So for me, retirement, it's just not my thing. I, 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 have, I can take as much free time as I want. I am, quote unquote, an inconsequential owner. If I wanted to take 
three months off, the business would be fine. Uh, but I love being engaged with people. I love helping people reframe obstacles. I love helping people create bigger futures, whatever they may be. Uh, and I get the ability to do that. And uh, without the constraints of uh, being an employee of a big bank or a big Wall Street firm. So it's almost a, a, a new chapter for me, 44 years of working inside. And now I can go outside and work on the benefit uh, from our clients to find the best solutions wherever they exist. You know, why not? <laughs> I can only play so much golf and uh, I can, you know, I, I need to stay, um, you know, we talk about a number of different capitals, but intellectual capital is very important to me. And uh, I, I need to keep myself uh, out there and, and I enjoy it. It's just, a, it's, a, it's a really sticky wicket. It's really a tough assignment, uh, but I love sticky wickets and I love tough assignments and, and I thrive in those places. So, uh, you know, that's, that's why. Well, that's wonderful to hear. And for years I told people, they said, I just want to spend my time on the beach. And I'm like, I know your personality and six months will kick in. And then what? And they're like, no, no, I just, right. I'm like, no, yeah. no. It's right. And I saw that throughout my career, you know, people would say, Oh, I want to retire. And, I, and they used to call it the honeydew list. I said, well, what? I didn't know what a honeydew list was at the time. They said, yeah, you know what my honey wants me to do. I said, okay. And they would get the honeydew list. And six months later, they were like, well, what am I going to do now? And I and I've heard, and we all know that you know being vital and being important and being having an impact and is is really you know part of the human condition. So you know, I talk to people that you, you want to stay engaged, but you want to stay engaged at a different level. You want to Absolutely. stay engaged in that area that you're passionate about. And if it's your business, great. You know, and if it's not your business, then yeah, you should get rid of it and go find what you are with all the resources that you've created around it. So we have a blank sheet of paper that we allow them to paint their bigger future on and then just help support them uh, in, in getting that created. Beautiful. Well, and I'm delighted to have you here because the voice of experience is always so much more impactful than the voice of theory. <laughs> so yeah. let's yeah. delve into all of this. So that transition that you decided to go into the capital partnerships, what was it about that in particular that made you go, yeah, that's the company I want to start? And well, it, it really was an extension of what we've been doing. Uh, you know, we have been, you know, I started my career as a stockbroker in the financial services, realized that stockbrokering didn't make a lot of sense. We were really, you know, I was getting commissions, you know, it was really about convincing people to buy stuff and I'd get commissions and sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. And fortunately, at an early stage in my career, I learned about uh, investment management consulting, where you really sat down and developed a statement of investment objectives, then you went out hired professional managers, then you managed to those objectives, and you did it on a fee basis rather than on a commission. So yeah, all the all those things were aligned. And at the same time, I, I learned about planning uh, with it. And so it started out as just helping people everybody do retirement planning because it's inevitable. You know, the, it was mostly doctors and professionals 
Uh, and yeah, we built a great business around that. Uh, when my son joined me, uh, which was about 10 years ago, or it was actually 12 years ago when he was a sophomore, and he asked, well, what happens to your business when you're not there? I said, well, we'll go to some other people. He says, I said, why do you ask? He says, well, I might be interested. I said, okay. So we started that process. And um, when he made his decision that he wanted to join, it really gave me an opportunity to rethink if I had to start all over, what target market would I want? Did I have the most fun with that, that I had the most challenge with? And it was business owners. They, they, they work so hard. They're so committed to their businesses. They're so committed to their families. They're so committed to their employees. They're so committed to their community. They're stretched so thin. They worry about everything. They're control freaks. You know, they're just great people. You know, <laughs> wow. It's like with. you're talking to me. <laughs> right? they, they're just great people to work with. And, and since I was one of those, you know, I, I've reformed myself. I've learned a lot about how to do it personally, as well as professionally. So I said, all right, this is my mulligan. This is my do-over. Let's go out there and build something different. I didn't want my son to be saddled with the idea, well, you became successful because you bought your father's business and it was successful. I really wanted him to create something and it, I'm like to create something. So that's what it, it was really about. And it was just a very natural extension. And because of the limitations of what I could do inside a Wall Street firm. You know, so I once we realized we wanted to do, I started to write some white papers and you know, send it off to compliance. And they redlined all these things that were important for business owners to do with the explanation, well, that's not what financial advisors do. I said, okay, well, well I don't get that. I, I, I think as a financial advisor in the broadest terms, uh, these are exactly what we're here to solve problems around, you know, finance and wealth and, and with business owners, the bulk of their wealth is tied up in their company. So why wouldn't we? So it was just a natural extension. And, you know, we, uh, we came up with the name of Interchange. And the reason for that is because most people that we deal with, you know, they, they look at, if you think about the biggest, most complicated interchange that you can think of, and how are you going to navigate that? That's where these business owners are. When you think about uh, capital, most of us focus on one capital, which is financial, but there's four other capitals that are very important, especially when you talk around transition to family members or to management or employees. There's intellectual capital, there's social capital, there's human capital, and there's spiritual capital. And then partners, we, we just believe in partnership. We believe that we're here to serve and to help and help those in, in a partnership format. So that's how we came up with the name. Uh, and uh, two years ago, we launched. And as my son said, you know, well, we're like a brand new startup with 45 years of for 40 plus years of experience. So I says, yeah, but it was still, I have to tell you, uh, very stressful because you, I don't take anything for granted. We had clients, we had a number of clients, a lot of clients, and we were hoping that they would agree and continue to come. And fortunately, 90% of them did. And, uh, but it's really about the, this new group of uh, 
clients that are coming to us who where this this message is really resonating where they're recognizing what's my next chapter and i really don't know how to get there and and i really don't know what success looks like and i really need some help to identify how to go about doing it um, and it's just uh, we have a great recipe and uh, with uh, and it just works and it's fun. <laughs> nice. So I would like to talk about what are some of the mistakes that people, entrepreneurs tend to make, and it could be completely you know, not thinking about it at all um, to a variation thereof and thinking about it incorrectly. And then like to transition into how does it look like when somebody works with you, what kind of resolution and ideas are they getting and those sorts of things. So let's start with what are the majority of mistakes that entrepreneurs make when they're running their businesses when it comes to um, exiting plans? Yeah, I think the biggest mistake is they assume that they will have time to do it. It's not something that is current. I'm not ready to retire. I'm too busy running the business. I'll wait. There, there is an issue. The biggest mistake is pushing it off. And then the then once they get there, you know, a lot of times it's, well, no one's really wants my company. No one's asked me to sell it. I don't know that I want to sell. So th that's the, the, the not planning for what we call that inevitable, the largest financial transaction. And then the second mistake that happens after that is they um, try to do it themselves and, and they use an old model. Uh, around how they've done everything else when it comes to professional advisors, um, where, you know, they just go to one who, you know, they, they silo everything. And, and that model just doesn't work uh, in this environment, in this particular area. There, this, this area for it to be successful requires significant collaboration between tax and legal and banking and investments and protection uh, to be able to do it well. And most business owners really aren't well-versed and talented in collaborating and building an outside um, team that they have confidence and faith in. And a lot of it just comes down to, uh, you know, they don't have the time they don't have the talent and they don't have the temperament. They, you know, a lot of these folks, as you know, as we've said, we're control freaks. So I'm, I, I'll figure it out. I'll know, I'll get it done if I'm going to do that. And then there's that group that says, I'm never going to sell this thing, you know, but, you know, it's, we like to believe we can live life on our terms. And then life sometimes throws us uh, a curve or two. And then all of a sudden, what's left? You know, the family's used to a certain lifestyle, um, but the breadwinner, the business owner can't bring it, isn't there anymore. The company's used to having, you know, the in the center of everything. And so they're they're gone. There's no knowledge transfer. There's no information transfer. There's no building the next generation for success. So all of a sudden, these you know the, the landscape is littered with great thriving businesses where business owners didn't focus on this 
because they didn't have the time and didn't know that there's another model that they could adopt that would create that time for them. And all of a sudden, you know, hundreds of people are devastated because either they're out of a job or they, they're not, you know, the income isn't coming in anymore. So you know, this is an area that uh, when we talk about uh, the mistakes made have generational consequences, it's because we've seen that historically uh, and it doesn't have to be that way. And so when somebody comes and works with you, what does that model look like? What are they what are they bringing to the table? What do you need from them? Yeah, Where they I think the first thing they have to understand is what does success look like? Okay, so there's four criteria for a successful exit. First is you maximize the value of your lifetime of work. You want to get the highest value for that business. The second thing that they pay very little attention to that they're always surprised. Every time we've done an exit interview with someone who's already gone through it, they say, oh my God, I didn't realize how much taxes I'd have to pay. So there's the next part of success is to mitigate the inevitable amount of taxes. The third area that keeps everybody from doing this is the fact that they understand their business and they know the cash flow that their business can generate. And then when they no longer have the business and they've got assets, now they got to go into the public markets which they don't trust in many cases. And certainly after what's going on recently, you know, they're out of control, you know, with it, you know, they can always go sell another job or they can always do something to generate. Well, now they don't have that. So being able to cash flow their lives in the lifestyle that they and their families are used to. And then the last part of that is them staying in control of the process until the very end. So that's the definition of a successful exit. Maximize value, mitigate taxes, cash flow your life, and then you staying in control. So there's three steps to that. Uh, and most people jump to the third step because that's the one that's the most fun. Sometimes the second step is a, is a lot of fun too, but the first step is where it really, and that's identify and quantify. So you first have to take a really hard look at all the pieces. So you've got to look at your personal balance sheet. You've got to take a look at your financial business balance sheet. You have to identify, even though you may not stick to it, you might say, well, yeah, I want a specific time when I am going to be out of this business. Not saying you have to be, but having a specific time this is exactly how much money I need based upon current market conditions so that I can do that. So it's about identifying and quantifying both qualitative issues as well as the quantitative. And the quantitative stuff is pretty easy. You know, you can just, you can get that. It's the qualitative issue. It's we're sitting here five years from today. What has to happen so that you're happy with your progress? You know, what's that vision look like? And when you come up with that vision, what are some of the dangers or fears that you'd like to eliminate if you could? What are some of the opportunities that you'd like to capture? What are some of the strengths that you have that you want to continue to develop? Those are some of the qualitative issues that we have to address as well. So it's about identifying and quantifying. We then have to take a look at, well, what are your team of experts that you have right now? Most business owners have an accountant, they have an attorney, 
They may have an investment person. They have a banker. They may have an insurance, but they've been cobbled together over years based upon need. And the question we ask and we ask them to evaluate are those same advisors who were able to get you to this point, are they capable of taking you to the quote unquote promised land? And in many cases, they don't have that expertise with it. So that whole identify and quantify requires some time and energy and people don't wanna do it because they don't have the time to do it. They're really running their business. They're working with their family or they're doing the community work that you know all great business owners do. So once we get that, we're starting to get an understanding. We get some valuations of what the business looks like. We get we begin to put together the you know what's working, what's not kind of stuff. Then we can start to move into phase two, which is maximize and protect. This process takes time. If it and the especially for tax mitigation. The longer you have, the more opportunity you have to mitigate taxes. So the idea of while this time is going on, you want to be able to maximize the growth of the business as you do every day when you walk in there. But you want to protect. You got to protect in case something happens. So there's a whole bunch of different pieces that we have to work on around maximizing and protecting. And then finally, you get to the fun stuff. The fun stuff is, well, how much of it, who's going to buy it? And, you know, it's the transition and transaction. And too many times we sit there with a business owner and say, oh, yeah, I, you know, somebody knocked on the door and we went down the road. And, you know, it's that's the fun. And we try to pull everybody back and got to go through phase one. Phase one is the most neglected. Phase two, they work on the maximize part of it, but they forget about the protect part of it. And then phase three, either they say, I don't want to do it because I don't know anything else in my entire identity and everything that I'm all about is in this business. So I don't want to do it. And then they have to, or the proverbial knock on the door. So those are the three phases that, uh, and then there's a lot of sub to sub pieces to that uh, work. But it ultimately is about building the plan, getting a clear understanding of where they want to go, and then have an action plan and the right team around, and then somebody who can give them the extra time. And that's the role we play. People have told us over and over again, until we brought you in, we kept talking about it or we kept thinking about it, but it never got done. And it's not that we did it all. We just helped keep everybody moving on the track, you know, for it. We, we kept, made sure the attorney was doing what the attorney needed to do, the, the tax people, the bankers, the investment, the insurance people. So it's that role of after the plan is created, which we'll do for them, that's their plan. So it just doesn't sit on the shelf. We know how many people, they come up with this great plan, and it just collects dust. Well, now we got to execute on it. And having us in their lives, we get it done. We give them more time because they can focus on what they love to focus on, which is running the business. Then we have to help them become what we call inconsequential owners. We've got to get them out of the middle. We've got to help them transfer the knowledge that they have. In some cases, if they walk out, uh, so do a bunch of the customers because they're the primary relationship manager. 
with it. So there's there's a whole bunch of, as I said, sticky wicked things that we uncover in that identify and quantify space. Well, so it sounds like we're talking a lot of kind of insurance and liability mitigation. Is that where the majority of the conversation is, or are you talking also talking about you know capital acquisitions? Are you talking about you know taking on partners? Where where's the majority all, of the conversation? All of the above. It's not there's risk mitigation always, you know, but that's only a small piece. Remember, it's maximize and protect. So is it, it, it once we go back to identify and quantify? Well, what I'd like to do is I, I realize that the value of the business today, if sold after taxes, is not enough for me to cash flow my life. Okay, now we know. And, and I think a lot of times why people don't go through this is intuitively they have this sense and they just don't want to face the music, if you will. But as you and I both know, as soon as you see it, then you can build a plan to turn it around. So this gap analysis, and then we might say, well, what we need to do is we need to increase sales. Maybe we need to bring on a partner. Maybe we need to do this, 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 and this. And we start to build that out and say, these are the kinds of things. And then we measure the progress you know, going over this. So that's on one side. On the other side, there may be people, and you know, this happened, you know, this is a great story. You know, they got an offer, they felt for sure the offer wasn't good enough. And when we found out and worked through it, the offer was more than good enough for what they wanted and could end up cash flowing their lives. And we had a meeting with the the owner and the wife. And when the wife heard that, he says, I'm not taking that offer. It's not worth it. And she kicked them. And she said, you hate this business. Why don't you, you know, get out of this thing and, and uh, you know, move on to the other things that we want to be able to do? So it's a lot more than just risk management. We tell people that running your business for sale is just good business. You don't necessarily have to sell it today, but all the things that you want to check you want to check is what's your customer concentration. You want to check your physical plan. You want to check if you have a management team that can take over. In many cases, they don't. You know, we have lots of situations with that uh, where there's a management. Sometimes you have family members that are in the business, some that are out of the business. How do you how do you make it fair and equal? You know, for that is fair and equal really the right approach to this. So once you get involved, and this is part of the reason why a lot of business owners don't do it. It's not easy work. You know, it, it brings up all kinds of problems and issues. And if we can help them reframe that and see all these obstacles as really the raw material for the future success for themselves, their family, the business, uh, and the community, then we can they can begin to work. And then if they realize, oh, all I have to do is sort of paint the picture and interchange capital will work with everybody to help me and then report back to me and then work with me on a regular as we are 90 day sprints to get this thing done. And all of a sudden, oh, I've got it ready to go when the inevitable takes place. Awesome. So who would you say that you serve and support ideally? Who is your favorite client to work with? Well, it's generally a family business owner. You know, it's generally somebody who has the 
qualitative characteristics that family's important, my employees are important, the community's important. Generally, we're looking at top line revenue around the 10 to $15 million range uh, around that. You know, number of employees, you know, generally, you know, 15, 20, you know, it, it's really less about that uh, mm-hmm. as more of it is the recognition um, that I know I need to do this. I can't do it. I just don't have the time. I don't have the talent. I don't have the temperament. I don't have the expertise. And I have to bring somebody in. So they have to be able to delegate. They have to be comfortable in that role and recognize that their vision can come to fruition you know, around this. Nice. So give us an example of a Cinderella story of one of your clients. Uh, let's see. The Cinderella story of one of our clients. Um, well, I mean, it goes back to the one that the, the wife that kicked the, <laughs> the wife that kicked the butt. So I love a good one. <laughs> but uh, for, for years, you know, this was a family business and he took it over from his uncle um, and worked it very hard, but, you know, expanded it. Um, and, um, just felt that, A, he felt that it was a business that nobody would want. And that's interesting because I find that there's a lot of business owners that just don't think their business is valuable to anybody else uh, with it. Um, so we, we worked with them. We did the identify and quantify. Um, we worked on um, helping build out some incentive compensation uh, for the employees, we helped build out uh, some stronger, you know, management structure. We helped dot I's and cross T's. You know, he didn't have uh, employment contracts. You know, there's a whole list of due diligence. We really helped him look at the business from a buyer's perspective. And, and it, it, that's a key point for all your business owners. You, you have to look at it as, you know, what, if you were the buyer, would you buy this business if it wasn't yours? And most of the business owners said, well, I know all the dirty laundry. I know all the skeletons. Well, we really cleaned up the dirty laundry and, and the skeletons you know, around that. Um, he got one offer. He didn't take that one, uh, but the business grew. And because he put in all this, he got, you know, the employees were more engaged. The management team started to get more engaged. The, he didn't have any family members, uh, you know, involved in it and ended up um, selling it for almost two times what he ever expected he was going to be able to get you know, for it. So again, and we, the success, he maximized value because we had time. We were able to mitigate the taxes for them. He's living very well, doing a lot of volunteer work, which which is what his passion was. He was done with that business. So he's volunteering, very engaged in uh, both a community up here in Pittsburgh and another community down in Florida. Uh, with it. And uh, he stayed in control of everything till the very end. And he was shocked that that it could happen. So I love it. So what are some of the symptoms or the stumbling blocks that somebody might be having right now? And they're thinking, I mean, I need you so badly. 
Well, I, I mean, I think the biggest thing is I don't know where to start. Uh, so the, the first has to, you know, I keep coming back to it. You have to realize that it's going to happen with you or without you. This is not something that you could postpone. It, there is going to be a transition or an exit. You have to get your head around that and realize it's going to happen. Now, let me just address that person who's like me. who says, I don't want to sell my business. You don't have to sell your business, but you certainly have to create a self-managing company so that it doesn't rely on you being there 24-7. So the first thing is you have to get your head around that it's going to happen and that there's a lot of money at stake if you do it right. And if you do it wrong, it's going to have those chairs. So that's the first thing that they have to do. The second thing that they have to address, especially if it's a family, is the competing systems that they're working with. So sometimes the there's three systems. There's the family, then there's the business, and then there's the ownership. Well, part of the, the values and things. So, you know, a business, you know, they're all about winning and profits. Families about nurturing and tradition. So there's some natural conflict that exists when you have a family business. So you have to begin to start developing appropriate ways of communicating. You have to, and, and this is a major problem that business owners, we talk to, you know, one, and this is classic where, you know, the business, he said, I'm here for my family and that, and, you know, the two children in the business, one out, the two children don't talk to each other that are in the business. And he says, if I die, well, the, my wife, she'll be able to handle them. And meanwhile, this whole thing is just going to collapse. And it's too hard to begin to go in there. So one of the things, the first step with something like that is building in appropriate communication, building in appropriate ways of celebrating the differences. Remember what I said, all obstacles, all obstacles that these business owners face are really the raw material for future success if you can bring the right people to help you think through it and work through it. So the mistake, it's those kinds of things that they, they have to first get it, and then they have to recognize that they can't do it themselves, and they have to go out and find someone like us who has the expertise in building a collaborative process because it cannot be done with just your accountant or just your attorney or just your investment person. It, it requires for it to be done successfully a team and you have collaboration is a skill. It's not, and there, and I say it all the time, not everybody plays well in the sandbox and there's a lot of competing interests. One business owner said to me, he said, the biggest problem when I went through the process is it began clear to me that all my advisors, some of them had their own agendas. I was the biggest customer of the accountant. So therefore, if I sold the business, they were going to lose a lot of revenue. Some of his responses seemed to... So that being alone and not having somebody around, that's another issue. But once they recognize that, they know that it can be done, and then they have to have that bigger future. They have to have the desire to build something bigger and better for themselves, their business, the family, and the community. And it can absolutely be done, but it takes time. They shouldn't do it themselves. 
And that old model where they are in the middle of everything has to change. We've got to move them out of the middle so that they're not having separate siloed conversations with customers and employees and where it's more on a collaborative basis and they've been able to share the knowledge, share their expertise, groom the next generation. And then from the advisory perspective, they have to be able to recognize that those separate conversations that they have based upon need, well, when I need legal, I'll talk to my attorney. When I need taxes, I'll talk to them. And then the last part is they have to realize that the cost benefit is in their favor. That sometimes they well, if I pull all these people together, it's going to cost me more. Quite the opposite. It's going to be less expensive to have a well-oiled machine circling all of this than you trying to do it separately by yourself without recognizing where your pitfalls are. Nice. So you really do provide more of a consulting service. It's pay, it's a total consulting, consulting service. service. Yeah, it's a total consulting service. It's uh, on a hard dollar you know basis. You know, you pay for you know a. Pieces of it as we go. We also have an MA advisory uh, component so that if we get to the point where they decide, you know, we remember maximize as well as protect. So we want to grow. I'd like to buy a competitor. I'd like to get a capital infusion. You know, it's not all about the sale. The sale is just the final. And in some cases, the sale doesn't happen. In some cases, it's a transition and they stay engaged and involved like I do because they're actually finally got permission to do what they love to do and then delegate all the rest of the stuff to other people who really love, you know, it's you know, one man's trash is another woman's treasure, et cetera. It's, so it's that kind building, that kind of an environment allows them the freedom to be able to build and dream again as to what this thing can look like. Oh. Right. Well, I think people too get a, a very uh, married or engaged to their business thinking this is my baby and I can't, you know, I can't separate from it. But when they start to do the their exit planning and they start to realize that they actually do have a, a great viable idea that they could hand off to somebody else that would take better care of it than they are. And that liberates them to be able to go on and do things that when they thought they weren't going to exit to actually go and, hey, if I exit now, I have this capital gain and I can do a lot with this capital, like a lot more. And all of a sudden the ideas start flowing and they become more innovative as opposed to thinking that this is their last great idea and they better make it work. And for the next gen, if it's a family, it gives them the opportunity to start to flex their vision, and but under the purview of Gen 1, so that they can get the experience and the help associated with that. So, and that's not either next gen in family or in management. There's lots of opportunities that sit in our employees' minds and that they don't believe in a lot of companies that they have the ability to share that. And there's some tremendous opportunities that come from family members, employees. As well. So when you the control freaks, which we all are, sometimes shut down innovation. And they actually, by opening that up, can create much bigger outcomes than even what they thought was possible. 
I just love that. So I know our listeners are going to want more from you. How did they start that journey with you? Best way is uh, contact uh, us, either contact me directly at ami.baum at interchangecp, that C is in capital, P is in partners.com. That's my email. Go to our website. There's a place you can get all the contact, which is www.interchange, C is in capital, P is in partners, cp.com, and hit contact, and they'll have all our information. Um, we're happy to, we have lots of educational pieces. You know, one of the things that uh, is one of the first steps is a business valuation. So we're happy to offer your listeners an informal business valuation so they can at least get a sense of where are they in relation to themselves and their peers. And that will also create some action points for some things that uh, they could get started on right away to begin to build out that successful outcome for the inevitable. It's not an if this is going to happen. It's a matter of when it's going to happen. That's awesome. And of course, we'll have all those links for in you in the show notes for you. So you feel free to scroll down and get all of those. That's awesome. I mean, you've been awesome. I have to ask you, at what point in life did you know that you were that special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? Yeah, it's been ever since I was a kid. I, I, I was the one that kept trying all kinds of different things, you know, and uh, my sister, God rest her soul, she was, you know, my partner in crime, you know, in the beginning. I was, you know, I, I, I came from a place where my father used to say, what do you think? Money grows on trees? And I looked around the neighborhood, it looked like there were some money trees out there. We just didn't have one. So that sort of sparked my interest around trying, uh, you know, so I, I've always had this entrepreneurial spirit. I call it this notion for innovation. I look at everything and I says, how can we make it better? How can we make it easier? How can we make it more effective? And I was just born with that, thankfully. Nice. I love it. So, and if you could give us an example of one of the funniest foibles you made as an entrepreneur. Oh my God. So funniest foible that I made. Um, I convinced my sister and we were, I must've been, so I'm the oldest. So I was 16, maybe 15. She was 14. And she, we, we got an allowance. It really wasn't an allowance. We were paid to babysit the youngest one and she, I would spend it and she would save it. So I found this, um, what was a, um, a pizza route. You know, I, I saw where what I was supposed to, what we was going to do was knock on doors and tell people we were going to deliver these frozen pizzas. And, you know, I mean, think about, and this was back in the 70s or late 60s. How good were frozen pizzas back then compared right. to going to a pizza <laughs> shop, right? It, you know, there's no comparison. So I convinced her that, you know, whatever hundreds of dollars I needed to, and we'd split all the profits and, you know, we'd go out there and, and of course I didn't taste test it. I did. And there was nothing about it other than somebody convinced me that, you know, pizza delivery was, you know, people wanted to do it themselves and it totally fell apart. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah. But congratulations on getting your first capital investor and your first right. business. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. 
Amit, you have been fabulous. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, I know how valuable pleasure. it is. I appreciate it. Any last words for our peeps? No, again, I, I keep repeating the same story. This is get started on this. This is good business. You want a successful business. That's why you're there. Exit planning, succession planning is good business. You'll find all those areas that will, A, make your business more valuable when you ultimately sell, but it will also increase the value of your business for your employees and your customers. And that's why you're there to begin with. Yes, it is. Thank you for that. Peeps, this is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share with people that you think would also like to grow and scale their businesses. If you have any ideas for the show, connect with me at michelle at awarenessstrategies.com. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to our show. I'm all about being a resource center for entrepreneurs to give them the information and the support that they need to make it in business. As such, the notes for this show can be found at our website at awarenessstrategies.com slash blog. Be sure to subscribe, give us a rating, I like five stars personally, and share with your friends.